If you have your Bibles, you're going to want to turn to Romans chapter 3 and chapter 4. Let me tell you a little bit about this lady up here on the screen. Her name is Sophia Loren, and some of you might know her. She is an Academy Award-winning actress. Um, she has appeared in 96 different movies. She started her career in 1950 with a small movie called Total, T Total um, Tarzan. Total Tarzan. Sounds like a great part, right? A little small bit part in Total Tarzan in 1950. Her last part was in a movie called The Human Voice, which was in, in 2014. And she was interviewed recently by the USA Today about her religious... She said, I am not a practicant. That's her word, not mine. Okay? I tend to misspeak, but this is purpose for her. Um, but I pray, so I'm not a practicing person, but I pray, I read the Bible. It's the most beautiful book ever written. I should go to heaven. Otherwise, it is, I haven't done anything wrong. My conscience is very clean. My soul is as white as those orchids over there. And I should go straight, straight to heaven. Sophia Loren says that. And, and she says her conscience is clean and that she's not done anything wrong. And yet, according to her biography in, 19, in the late 1950s, she had an affair with Cary Grant while she was married. And she was married to a man who was still married. And so she married a man who was still married, and she was having an affair with Cary Grant. But her conscience is clean. Her soul is as white as those orchids up there. And, and, I, and she says this, and I believe that a lot of other people share the same sentiment. I have done nothing wrong with other people. When we forget about those things that we did, we, we look at our lives, we go, you know, I haven't murdered anybody. I'm not a pedophile. You know, I haven't hijacked an airplane. I haven't done anything like that. I'm a good guy. And I think that a lot of times we say our conscience is clean. And the Bible is a good book because it's a good book and, and my conscience is clean. Therefore, I should go to heaven. Well, the Bible that she refers to has um, a story in there, a book in it, written by a man named Paul. And Paul was a guy who at one time persecuted the church. He hunted down people who believed in Jesus Christ, and, and he put them in prison, probably, probably saw some of them killed. We know he was there when Stephen was killed, and, and one day he was on a desert road, and he encountered Jesus Christ. He realized that the man that he said isn't alive is now alive, and he became the greatest, probably the greatest missionary that the church has ever known. Paul has something different to say than Sophia Loren, and so I'm going to start in chapter 3 of Romans, and we're going to work our way into chapter 4. You're going to want to track along. I've got a lot of blanks for you to fill in this morning in the passage, and so I'm going to pick right up in chapter 3, verse 21, a little bit of review where we were at last week. Paul says this to a Roman church, a church that has some division. The division is there are people of the Jewish faith who's, who think that they're righteous because they have the biology of Abraham in their blood, and there are others who have no connection to the Jewish faith who are also part of this church. And then you've got these Jews who believe in Jesus Christ, but they are a little more superior, so they say. And Paul is making the argument that, that it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or you're Gentile. All of us, all of us have fallen short of the glory and the purpose of God. All of us have broken his righteous rules. Paul says this, Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been, named, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, everyone who believes. He says there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. There's no difference. The big word there is all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you want to know how serious God takes sin, way back in the beginning of the book that Sophia Loren referenced, there's a story of a man and a woman, and a man and a woman live with God. They're in his presence. They're walking with him. They're talking with him. Nothing is hindering them. And then they are deceived. There's, there's a guy, Satan comes up, and he talks to them, and he, and he says, you know what? God is hiding something from you. And so he goes to Adam, and he goes to Eve, and he, he convinces Eve, and Eve takes a bite of this fruit that God said don't do. One bite of one fruit, and, and Eve gives it to her husband, and he also shares. As a result of that one incident, one incident, God banishes him from his presence. God says, because you have rebelled against me, you are not allowed in the presence. And not just you, your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids, to the umpteenth generation, you and I are banished from the presence of God because of the inherent sin that we got from our great-grandparents, Adam and Eve. I wonder how, how serious God takes sin, how serious God takes things that are bad, is, is one day there's a guy named Moses. Moses is huge in the Jewish religion. He's the guy who, who delivered the law, who spoke with God, who talked with God face to face. One day, after leading this rebellious, hard-hearted group in the dead, rescued, he'd seen God completely demolish the Egyptian army and resources. They've celebrated, but now the Jewish people, now the Hebrews, they, they, are, they are rebelling and they're, they're they're complaining once again that they're thirsty. And, and Moses has just had it with their constant bickering and complaining. And he smashes a rock twice instead of, instead of just speaking to it. And water still comes out of it. But because of that one miscue, that one miscue, you know what God does? God says, no, you can't go into the promised land. That's going to be for Joshua to do. I am holding back you going into the promised land. See, God takes small miscues very seriously. And so when we say all have sinned and fall short of the glory, it isn't, it isn't this large, booming thing that you have in your life keeps you from the presence of God. And all of us, all of us have made small little errors that keep us from presence. But yet, the same all that keeps us is the same all that brings us in. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. Now the translation says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. If I were to ask a raise of hands of how many understand and completely comprehend the word, most of us would sit on them going, I don't know what that means. Um, I know this because on my Wednesday night Bible study, we often talk about words and we go, what does that mean? How do we do it? And so we're going to unpack that word. And let me tell you, in the Greek, the word is there. And, 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 and multiple Bible translations say, hey, it means this, it means that, it means this. Because it's really hard to understand. It's really hard to grasp the meaning of that word. And so, and so there isn't a direct English to a Greek to English translation. And so you can see the fact that the gavel is over the top. And I'm going to give you an illustration of something that might work. And so imagine that there's a courtroom, and in the court, in the court there's a judge, and the judge is there. And you're brought before the judge, or, or brought before the judge. You've probably heard part of this, but I'm going to make it a lot worse. And um, so the judge sees the person comes before, and the person is guilty. So the, the defense attorney says, we have no case. The prosecuting attorney starts to list time and time and thing after thing that the person has done. And the punishment for the breaking of the law is not just a fine, 
the punishment is going to be death. They're going to get exiled. They're going to be separated forever from the community. And so the judge has no choice. The judge has to say that person is guilty because the evidence is overwhelming. The prosecution did a great, did a great job. The defense just said, guilty. We don't know what to do. And so the judge takes the gavel, and the judge pounds the gavel, takes off the robe, and he kind of moves the person, the defendant, aside. And the judge stands in front of his booth and says, I will take the punishment for the person who was guilty. I will, I will stand in their place in that punishment that was, that was rightfully due the defendant. The, the, the guilty charge. All of the curse, all of the separation, I will take on. And so the judge, the judge in this case is God. And God takes, and he stands in our place, and he takes the punishment that we are so rightly due, and he pays the price. And that leaves us standing right here. The judge is going to take the price. The judge is going to give our response. What happens to us now that we are free? Now that, now that we are no longer under the penalty, we're free, we're forgiven. It is released. All of the curse, all of the bad things are now upon him, no longer upon us. And that's what Romans 4 is about. Let's look at Romans 4. Romans 4 starts out like this. I mean, I want to introduce you to somebody in Romans 4. I want to introduce you to Abraham but maybe not that Abraham. <laughs> that's a nice Abraham, that's a good Abraham, but I want to introduce you to an Abraham in chapter 4, because Paul uses two people. We're going to meet Abraham, and we're going to meet David. And Paul introduces Abraham, and he says, Abraham, this Abraham that Jews would know, he was, he was a father of the nation. Through Abraham, he was a pillar of the country. He was a friend of God. The Bible says he was God's friend. That Abraham, this is an important person. And, and Abraham was... The faith. And, and the Jews would say, you're right. He was right because of his faith. But let's look at what Paul says as Paul unpacks the righteousness of discovered in the matter of righteousness. Imagine Abraham right here and, and God right there. Abraham, if in fact good deeds, I did all of these great things. I followed. You asked me to go. I went. Yes, I didn't take the knife to my son. I did it. You asked me to do this. I did it, God. I went where I didn't know. I did what I didn't know to do. And, and, you, and therefore, God, I am righteous. Is that Abraham's argument? When did God declare Abraham as righteous? Was it after he did all those things? Or was it before? Paul says, the scripture says, Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteous. Abraham, it was when Abraham believed those other things. Before he was circumcised, before he took his son, he believed God. And when he believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. And by the way, I love saying the word credited. <laughs> it just rolls off the tongue. It was credited. So um, if you hear a couple more Ds, it's just because I'm having fun, okay? Um, Abraham was credited as righteousness. Righteous is a gift, Paul says, that is received by faith. Righteousness, imagine God taking our punishment, you're here, and now you get to figure out what you're going to do next. God's already said he's going to take all of your punishment, do you, and he's taking it, and now you've got to figure out how you're going to live. And not only that, but he's going to adapt. Not guilty, you're clean. You are now righteous as a gift of faith. Paul says, now, to one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation, in which everybody in the room says, amen, right? 
Aren't you glad that your boss doesn't think, well, you worked, you didn't work that hard, so I'm going to give you a small gift today. You work eight hours, and he goes, that was $10 worth of work today because I didn't feel like I wanted to give you a gift. Or would you rather say, I worked eight hours, and so I deserve eight hours, I need to get eight hours of pay. Which one do you want, the gift or do you want the obligation? Obligation. Right, Tommy? Obligation. Okay, he's talking. Good, okay. However, to the one who does not work, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Righteousness is credited not because of something that you've done, but because it is a gift of God. And we get this view. Sophia Loren believes that because she, her conscience is clean, because she hasn't done anything, quote, wrong, that she deserves to be righteous. She deserves to be in God's presence. She is clean, she says. My conscience is clean. See, righteousness comes by grace from verses 6 through 9. Let's meet the other David. David Hasselhoff, right? (laughs) Not David Hasselhoff. We don't know that much about him other than he's an okay actor, right? Um, And we're talking about David in the Bible. David, the man after God's own heart. A man who who was anointed by Samuel to be king. A man who who slew Goliath. A man who, who battle after battle saw victory after victory a man who was anointed king, a man who, who took the 12 tribes and united them into one kingdom. The man who was promised that you will have a king forever because he was such a good man on your throne. David. Three pillars in the Old Testament books. One would be Abraham, one would be Moses, and one would be David. David representing the king and would pass through David and be forever on David's throne. David is a hallmark, a big, he's a big wig in the Jewish faith. David says, because David blows it huge, and we'll get into that in a second. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one who God credits as righteousness apart from works. We're talking about God. We're talking about David, and David was a big wig, but David blew it largely too, right? David wasn't this innocent guy. David wasn't the Sophia Loren of the Old Testament. David knew that he blew it. David David completely understood that, you know what? I blew it. And this is how he blew it. One day, he's up on the roof, as we were talking the other day, and and he sees, he knows where to look. He knows where the ladies take her bath, and he knows where to look, and and he sees this beautiful woman taking a bath. And then he brings her, as a king, he brings her into, and he rapes her, forces himself on her sexually. And then not only that, but he tries to cover it up, and so he brings her husband back, and so he commits adultery. He, He... then he brings the husband back, and, and Uriah is a righteous man, and, and David still can't cover up the fact that she's pregnant, and, and so David has Uriah killed. He breaks multiple commands of God. And now he's confronted by Nathan the prophet when Nathan says, you are that man. Confronted by Nathan, he understands that God is always watching. He comes to God in the psalm, Psalm 32, confessing his sin. He said, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. David completely understood the forgiveness of God. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will always count against him. No, will never count against him. Will never count against him. Blessedness. The blessedness is the one who comes from God. 
Could David say, you know what, what I deserve to be in heaven because I am such a good guy? No, because David knew he blew it and the blessedness of the grace of God was there. See, blessedness, it involves the forgiveness of sins. And the forgiveness of sins brings joy to those who accept it. The person who, who was in front, of the guilt, in front of the judge and guilty moved aside by God and said, I will take that punishment. And now, now we're standing here. We don't know what to do next. We are completely absolved of our sin. We have been forgiven. The judge has taken all of our sins. All of our sins. And he's paid the price. And now we're forgiven. And now we should leap. And now we should recognize who we are and where we are. And Paul will show us this. It is this blessedness only for the circumcised. Circumcised would be for the Jews. It's the blessedness only for the circumcised, the uncircumcised. Is it for the Jews or is it for the Gentiles? Who is it for? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. And then the one circumcised, was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or was it before? This is a brilliant move by Paul. Paul is going to say, hey, church, before Abraham ever worked, he was declared righteous. Before Abraham ever did anything significant for God, he was declared righteous. He believed God. See, righteousness does not come by works of the flesh. Righteousness does not come. You can do as many good works as you want, but until you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, until you realize that he has risen from the dead, that he died for your sins, that he is alive today, and until you make that moment when you say, I accept your standing in my place for my sins. I acknowledge you as Savior. And when you do that, it's an act of faith, and you trust God, you say, I accept your grace, your forgiveness, your mercy, and now, Lord, I am somebody else. And you do that, and you haven't done anything yet for him, but grace comes by works. See, Paul says it was not after he did the work of the flesh. It was before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of righteousness, had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Before he had done anything of the flesh, God called him righteous. So then, he is the father of all who believe, who have not been circumcised, in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. He is the father of those who, who are not of the Jewish heritage in order that righteousness might come our way. To which I say, Amen. And he's also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham. That he has. He is the God. He is righteous for the circumcised and the uncircumcised. God, the faith is for everyone to believe, and then everyone will be called righteous. It was not through the law that Abraham received his offspring, through the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but it was through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend upon the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Paul is saying here, he's going, the law identifies whether or not you guys, your transgressions. It says, it says you shouldn't do this, and, and you do that, therefore you know that you are guilty. And, and where there is the law, there's the knowledge of, that you've done wrong. 
And where there is no law, there is no knowledge that you have done wrong. And so all of those people are guilty because of the wrath or they're guilty because they've always lived in wrong. And Paul is saying this, your righteousness, God's righteousness is available for the Jew and the Gentile alike. All, all are equal. The grace of God, the faith is great for both sides. The promise of righteousness is by grace through faith. What did you do if you're standing in the courtroom just to move you aside? You simply were there. You were simply there saying, saying I'm guilty. You were simply there, and, and all of a sudden you were there. You acknowledged that you were guilty. You acknowledged that you're a sinner. And, and so out of grace, he says, I will take those sins, those transgressions. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father whom he believed the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being the things that are not. Watch this. Abraham is a man of great faith. Abraham believes in the promise of God, and Abraham grows old. Abraham was promised a son. He never received the son. He's, he's old. He, he's like 100 years old, and as a 100-year-old man, he, he was given the promise, who is going to be my son? And you know, 100-year-old men, their bodies don't work like 30-year-old men. Let's just be honest, I'm going to be real, you know, and, and this is pre-Viagra days, and, and he's supposed to have a kid, and, and things might not work like that, and not only that, but Sarah, her womb is as good as dead. She's gone through menopause, and so you've got a woman whose body doesn't work, and Abraham believes that God is going to deliver them a child. How much faith does that take? I'm looking at, who's the oldest couple in here? go have a baby, okay? I'm trying to find, okay? And, um, but imagine that. Abraham believes God so much so that he truly, truly steps out in faith and God delivers. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so Abraham became the father of many nations, just as it has been said, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He was about 100 years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. And yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. But he was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Isn't that great? Abraham and Sarah have one more honeymoon night. And one more honeymoon night, she has a baby. She conceives. She gets pregnant because they had faith. They trusted God against all hope. See, God declared him righteous because he believed that God promised him to do. You stand there. You, you're here. And what are the promises of God that you're claiming? Promises of forgiveness, the promises of God's mercy, yes. The promises that Jesus, did Jesus really, really Ask, I mean, really rise from the dead? Absolutely. What are the promises that you are claiming for God? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? And if so, how do you act it out? Paul says this, this is why it was credited to him as righteous. 
The words that was credited to him were not written for him alone. They weren't written just for Abraham. They weren't written just for David. They weren't written just for Moses. But the words were written for you and me. Paul's writing to... Paul might as well be writing to the church in Colton. Those words were also written to us. To the God who will credit us with righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the Lord from the dead. He was delivered over death for our sins, and he was raised for our justification. Church, Christian church, people who love Jesus, God was raised. He was raised for your sins. He died for your sins. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And he was raised to our justification. Three things we need to see out of this. One, if you believe God raised Jesus from the dead. If you believe Jesus died from your sins. If you believe that Jesus is alive today. God raised him from the dead. Do you believe? Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? We celebrate that on Easter. We celebrate that on Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty. Do you believe that? Are you convinced that that is true? Are you convinced that there was a man who walked the earth and and tread on this dusty planet? Do you believe that Jesus died a physical death? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is alive today? Do you believe? Or is it too hot for any? Amen. Do we believe? Absolutely. Have you accepted? Has your life pointed towards the fact that there is a resurrection. Now needs to point others to Jesus. I was talking with Michael in, in the back of, of the room this morning, and I was talking to him about what is our purpose as a Christian. Our purpose as a Christian is, is multiple times. One is to show Jesus to other people. We need to tell people that Jesus is alive that he's rose from the dead. We need to share our faith. If we have our faith, it isn't something we keep to ourselves. It is something we give away, and we share our faith with others. But we have to live a life of faith that says, he took my penalty. Now I'm here. Now I'm righteous. Now I'm justified. Now I am forgiven. And now I need to live because I've got so much joy. Well, I no longer am condemned by guilt. I am no longer trapped But those sins that I had when I was young, those sins that I did last week, those things don't entangle me anymore. We need to show other people. So if you believe Jesus died, if you believe Jesus was raised and is alive, then act in ways that display your confidence. See, this is what the book of Romans says. It's Romans chapters 1 through 11 is this big argument that says as believers, all of this is true. But in Romans chapter 12... The application to this, I'm stealing from the beginning of Romans 12. I want you to pick one of these in your handouts. I want you to pick one of these to apply. Practice humility. He's talking to the Jewish people, and they're not practicing humility. They're saying, I'm better. I'm better because I've done all these things. To you who are born in the church, you who've been in the church all of your life, practice humility. Continue to accept those who weren't part of the church Those who walk in on a Sunday morning and their life might have issues, they might have things going on in their life, they might have problems. And remember that Jesus Christ died for you and he died for them. And accept them and embrace them. Love others deeply. The B in the N and B means believers and non-believers. 
practice humility not just to the believers, but also to the non-believers. Love one another deeply. This week, if this is one of your things you need to do, pick one of them. Love one another deeply. Find a believer and say, you know what, it's really hard for me to, believe, to love this believer. This week, I'm going to do an act of faith, and I'm going to express my love towards someone that is difficult towards a believer that, that I have a challenge with, towards a believer that, that I have distance with, or, or find a non-believer and share your love with them. Honor others. Amy and I were talking. You know, a good way to get into a man's heart, a good way to get into a man's heart is with respect. Show respect. Honor them. Honor your dad this week. Be respectful towards him in a way that you've never been. Find another man and show respect to him in a way that, that builds them up, honors them for what they've done. Honor people. Don't just mow over the top of them. You know, um, we were talking, we were, I was at Chick-fil-A the other day. And Chick-fil-A has this policy, and it comes down from, comes from their CEO. So a couple of years ago, their CEO of Chick-fil-A, you know what he said? He said, you know, uh, he was at a very posh hotel, and at this posh hotel, when he said thank you, they said, my pleasure. So the CEO of Chick-fil-A said, that made me feel great. And so the CEO goes to a meeting with all the owners of all the Chick-fil-A's, and he says, I want you to start saying, my pleasure, when somebody says thank you. So I'm going to say thank you. I don't want you to practice. It's okay. So ready? You're going to say my pleasure. So thank you. My pleasure. Okay. So that's what he wanted the people to do. He wanted them to say my pleasure. And I dare you to go to Chick-fil-A and try it. Because they're going to say my pleasure. And so after all kinds of Chick-fil-A's and people weren't saying my pleasure. And so the next um, big corporate gathering comes together and the CEO says, you know what? I really think we should take this seriously. And every time someone says thank you, you say my pleasure. And what were they saying? Nothing. They weren't saying my pleasure. They weren't saying anything. They were just absorbing the thank you. And so the third time, the third CEO, this is what um, the CEO of Chick-fil-A says. If you want to continue to have a job at Chick-fil-A, <laughs> if you want to continue to work for Chick-fil-A, your people will say my pleasure when they say, when someone says thank you. So they say thank you and you say it's that you honor other people. So this week, when somebody says to you, thank you, say, my pleasure. Just, just honor them and, and acknowledge their thanks. Acknowledge the, that, they, that they did something nice and they said thank you, and you did something nice. Say, my pleasure to serve you. You know, um, you need to work hard this week because that's a, a testimony to God in you. But the third one is serve enthusiastically. Not one, two, three, four, fifth one. Serve enthusiastically. I was reading this week. Do you know the word hero? Hero derives from the word serve. The word hero comes out of the word to serve. Church, I want you to be somebody's hero this week. I want you to serve somebody. Serve somebody that, that, that you know, you might not normally serve. In other words, if your boss tells you to do something, and you go, well, I think I'm going to go ahead and serve my boss. Okay, good job. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about coming alongside of somebody that's, that needs some help. 
coming alongside of somebody that's working, coming alongside of somebody, and, and if you see a need, you meet it, and you become their hero. How cool would it be if when the God of heaven and earth looks at you, and he says, you were a hero to that person, that you served them. Maybe you gave them a glass of water when they were thirsty. Ah, oh, tying this in, right? Maybe you gave them a blanket and they were cold. Maybe you gave them a food and they were hungry. And you were their hero that day. Maybe you called them up and encouraged and said, you know what, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. Maybe you text them a note and says, you know what, I really appreciate what you're doing. Who could you be a hero for this week? You do not have to jump into a burning building to be somebody's hero. You do not have to take a bullet for them to be their hero. Because hero derives from the word serve. And if you want to be somebody's hero, serve them. Engage with them. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. There's something going on in your life today that you can rejoice over. There's something going on in your life that you can give thanks for. Share that with somebody else. What is going on in your life? Wednesday night Bible study, we always start the Bible study. It says, hey, what's going on? Give me something to give thanks for. Give me something good that God is doing in your life. And it's fun. And I make everybody in the room give thanks. You know, everybody in the room has something. I don't care whether I can breathe today. You know, or I can feel, I can touch, I can see, I can smell. What are you giving thanks for? And then share that with somebody. Give thanks we have so many blessings. Venezuela and its million percent or 10 million percent inflation rate, which is horrible. So in other words, the 99 cent store is now the 10 million dollar store. Isn't that horrible? And, and, and so we could live there, but God has chosen to have you live in this community amongst these people today to give thanks, to rejoice, to, to work hard, to honor, to love to, to practice humility, and the last one is to be patient in trouble. This week, some of you might, might encounter some kind of troubles. You might encounter situations that are struggling. Talking with my friend Rob, you know, he just started a new week and a half of his new job. He had a flat tire, he was rear-ended, and he had a car problems. You know, he just had a tough couple of weeks at the job, and and they still kept him employed, which is pretty cool. Um, but you know what? He gave thanks in the midst of it. About being able to work for a place that, that acknowledged and, and saw who he is and, and recognizes his gifts. But is there somebody that you need to come alongside? Somebody who's in trouble? Somebody who's experiencing some difficult days in their life? And you need to be the person to encourage them. The person to share Jesus with. The person that says, you know what? I was there, I was guilty, now I'm free, now I'm righteous, now I'm holy, and I've got to live a life. So this week, church, here's your application. I want you to practice humility. Put others before you. I want you to love somebody deeply. I want you to honor other people. Find somebody to honor. Especially with Father's Day coming up. Maybe your dad, your grandfather, maybe an uncle, a relative needs you to acknowledge their hard work. Work hard this week. I was at a house. I'm telling a lot of stories about my life. And I was at the house, and um, I can't get into the details why we were there. And there was a 70-year-old lady that was packing the dishes. She was working hard. And her son was just sitting on the couch being a slug. It was so embarrassing. So her working, and, and he wasn't. And, 
And, you know, that opportunity, we couldn't do anything about it. But uh, just work hard. Get off the couch. Get away from the video screens. Get away from your phone. Work hard. Serve enthusiastically. <laughs> Serve enthusiastically. Rejoice always, church. Always, always rejoice. And then finally, be patient in trouble. Times are come and come in your life. About every seven years, people go through a major traumatic thing. And in the midst of it, can you give praise in the midst of trouble? So let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for this morning. Lord, to be encouraged, to, to know, Lord, that we are forgiven, we are righteous, and we are holy. Not because of anything we've done, but, Lord, because of everything that you have done for us. Lord, if there is anybody in this room who has never, ever accepted you, who, who is standing in front of you right now at this moment, and they're guilty, and, and, and they have not accepted you, they have not asked you to come into their heart, Lord, they've just read the Bible, and they think because they haven't done anything immoral to their knowledge, their conscience is clean, but Lord, they haven't accepted you. Lord, I pray that they would. They would recognize that you died for our sins, recognize that you were buried in the tomb, and then, Lord, that they would recognize that you conquered sin and you conquered death and you are alive today. You're speaking to their heart. You're asking them. You're talking to them. You're saying, invite me in. Please, invite me in. I don't know what you're going to experience tomorrow, but you might not have the opportunity tomorrow to invite him in today. So invite him in. He's knocking. He's calling. He's... He's asking, but he won't force. He needs you to open that door. Lord, if there's somebody in here who needs to invite him in, I pray that they would. And then for those of us who have invited him in but have forgotten what you've done, we're trying to work our way and we don't need to. Forgive us, Lord, for trying to earn our good points with you. And instead, Lord, allow us to rejoice for the good things that you have done in our life, the blessings that you have given us, the forgiveness of sins, and so, Lord, in a moment, we're going to leave out those doors. I pray, Lord, that as we leave, we will, we will leave free. We'll leave all that crap that's in our life here in the church. We will walk out of there knowing that we're righteous in your sight, we're justified, we're holy, we're forgiven, and we will be, we'll be echoes of your voice. We'll be mirrors of your light. Lord, we'll be sources of your spirit, casting forth the shadow of you onto others. Morning in this time. In your precious name I pray. Amen.